Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. I am uh, uh, stirred about the victory that we have in Christ. And, and my heart's desire is to stir you about the victory you have in Christ today. Anybody excited about being victorious? Amen. Do you want to know why we have victory? Hallelujah. Let's let the Word of God reveal to us the victory that's ours in Christ Jesus. Go with me, first of all, to Philemon 1. And if you need to use your index to find out where Philemon is, it's not one that, you know, it's not very long, so it, you, you may not go to it often. Uh, but there is a great, great verse here in Philemon, one chapter, uh, verse 6, uh, and it says that the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So this word communication is referring to living out. It's referring, when we see the word communicate, it is a word that is referring to manner of life. And this way it's used in a, a passage that would uh, indicate that you're living out your faith. You're applying your faith. You're seeing your faith put to work in your everyday life. The communication, the living out of your faith would be more effectual, would be more advantageous, would see more results, would make a greater progress as we acknowledge every good thing that is in you, in Christ Jesus, in you, in Christ Jesus, in you, in Christ Jesus, in you, in Christ Jesus. Now, those two prepositions there, it's the same preposition, in, but in you and in Christ Jesus identifies that we're talking about Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. What life is in the vine is resident in the branches. What's flowing through the vine is flowing through the branches. This is the supernatural connection that is made because of our receiving Jesus as Lord. We are no longer, we, we, we are not just uh, what you can see from the outside. We're not just what we can feel in the natural arena, but we have been placed in Christ. We have been joined to Him in a supernatural connection that provides every life force that is resident and operative in Him now is available and flowing in me. The life that He lives, it's no longer that I that live when I've been crucified with Christ, but now the life that He lives is livable in me. It is accessible in me. Hallelujah. Everything that's in Christ is now in me because I am a branch connected to the vine. This is a supernatural connection, and this is what we have got to be so 
convinced of on a daily basis that it becomes the light we live in. That everything you hear from the outside has to go through an in Christ filter. It has to go through a perception that covers your mind that recognizes I am not a mere human being. I am not a natural person. I am not just natural. I am in Christ. And everything you hear from the news, from a doctor's report, from a, a circumstance, a situation that is a difficult one, everything has to come through this victory in Christ filter that covers your mind that you have renewed your mind with it because it's the reality of who you are. And you know, when he was dealing with the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and he said, I have to feed you with milk. And then you should be teachers by now. You should be able to walk in a real clarity to the point that you could teach other people this truth. But you're, you're carnal. And you're behaving as mere men, the King James says. The Amplified says mere unchanged men. And he was trying to tell them, you're alive in Christ. You're a new creature in Christ. You are born again. The greater one lives in you. You're alive with the eternal life of God himself. But you're just acting like you are what you feel. And you're acting like you are what your emotions say. And your, your body tells you. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. You're not what is the human limitations can offer you to be. But you've, faith is required to walk in it. Faith is, is the confidence that I have been crucified with Christ. The confidence that the old me is gone. I am not what I did. I'm not what I was. I'm not where I've been. I'm not those things. That's not me. I don't identify myself with my past. I don't identify myself with my failures. I don't connect myself and rehearse and rehash and, and limit myself because of those things. Instead, I look to Jesus and I take all the limits off my life and I say, I'm in Christ and in Christ I live and in Christ I move and in Christ I have my being I am in him and so I can love the way he loves I can have the kind of marriage made in heaven because Christ lives in me and I can love my wife like Christ loves the church and wives you can say I can love my husband I can honor my husband as unto the Lord because the love of God constrains me and lives in me and I'm not limited to to what Dr. Phil can offer me. I'm not limited to what the natural books in the world tell me I have to be and my women's rights and I got to burn the bra and all that other crazy <laughs> chaos that was going on. No, I am in Christ and it is a beautiful thing to be in Christ and to submit myself one to another, walking in love and seeing the glory of the Lord in my home and the glory of the Lord in my relationships. Amen? I'm not human. First, I'm born again first. I'm alive unto God first. I'm in Christ first. And everything else has to take a lower position of influence over my decisions and my behavior. I'm in Christ, and in Christ, I'm going to behave myself in Christ. I'm going to decide my, my directions in Christ. I'm going to, to structure my life through this, this uh, uh, in Christ reality, the, in, the truth of who I am. There is, amen, there is a, a legal side of redemption 
that, that you can look in the Bible and you can see everything that belongs to you. It's legally yours. But what happens is a lot of times people look and they see it in the Word, but then they look at their life and they say, but I don't have it. They see it in the Word, but then they look at their life and say, I don't have it. You can't, that's not faith. Faith sees it in the Word and says, I have it. Because this is reality to me, and that's how I bring it here. That's how I bring it here. I have to let the Word convince me, and then I have to verbally agree. That's how I got saved. I, I believed in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. I opened my mouth and said, Jesus, I accept you and receive you as my Lord. And because of what was in my heart and what I put in my mouth, what was available to me came into manifestation and I began to walk out the saved, free from drug addiction, free from the life of crime that I had lived, free from all of the things that held me in bondage before Christ. I believed it, I spoke it, and then I walked it. So I don't look here to determine what's true about me. I look in the Word and then I let the Word have a greater um, influence over what's happening in my life. Amen? Amen? And this is the filter, the renewing of the mind that has to take place. I have to get the revelation of who I am. I have to let it be clear to the point that I can bring it up and cover my mind and say, I don't think like that anymore. I'm renewing my mind with this truth. And then everything that comes into my life through different avenues that I have to deal with, that I have to walk through, they have to come through the, the filter of my in Christ reality, my in Christ position. You know, when pastor, the weeks before, the months before we got married, there were people that he worked with that liked to go out and shoot basketball. There were different things that, that he enjoyed doing as a single man. The, the liberties that he had as a single man just to, by impulse, choose to go do something. You know. And then when we got married, not only was, was he married, but now we have two small children because I had children uh, uh, when we got married. And so when, when we got married... He couldn't think like a single man anymore. He couldn't be as impulsive as he was. He couldn't just make all of his decisions for recreation excluding us. He had to, everything he decided to do, he had to think, what are my plans with my wife? What are my plans with my children tonight? What, are, what do we need to do as a family? Everything had to come through the family filter instead of a single man filter. And it changed the decisions that he made. It changed his activities. He still had some times that he would do things, uh, you know, entertainment, recreation, and things like that. But he always brought them through the filter of, I'm married, and I have children, and I have a, a responsibility as, as the father and the, the husband to lead my home. And so that, that filter came in. Amen? That's, that's an application that we do as new creatures in Christ. Now everything has to come through the truth of who the Word says I am in Christ. And this is what Philemon is talking about. He's saying by acknowledging every good thing that is in you in Christ. 
Every good thing that the effectual, the, the working of your faith, the application, the living out of your faith will be more on target. It will, you'll see a greater results in your faith walk. You'll see a greater victory in the things that you're coming against, the things that you're dominating with the name of Jesus, the things that you are standing against and holding your place of, of, of healing or holding your place of redemption. You'll see a greater effectiveness when you acknowledge what is in you in Christ. When you'll see yourself, I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. I'm in Him and He is in me. The life that's in me is His life. And so it's not limited, it's not forced to fear. It's not forced to be worried. It's not forced. Why? Because the life that's in me is an overcoming life. The life that's in me is already defeated the curse. The life that is resident, you are a recipient of eternal life now. You know you don't get eternal life after you leave this earth. If you have believed on Jesus Christ and made Him Lord, you are a recipient today, a resident in your spirit at this very moment. If we could open up every person's heart like a bank vault and look inside, just open up the safe and look inside, every one of you have a treasure in this, in this earthly vessel. Every one of you have eternal life now resident in your spirit. Amen. Glory to God. We are recipients today, carriers of the eternal life of God. Amen. Hallelujah. We have to learn to live from there. You know, it's possible because we see that group in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. They were not living from it. They were resident and they were, they were recipients of it. It was resident in their heart, but they weren't living from it. They just continued to try to live their Christian walk out of their human ability, out of their natural, their natural responses. And that's why they were not able to receive anything more than, than milk. Because as we enter into the kingdom of God, we enter in as babes, and we need to desire the sincere milk of the Word so that we can grow. And that sincere milk of the Word is what is the renewing of the mind to who I am in Christ. It's, it's feeding on the Word until I see myself in Him. Until I see Him in me. Until I see us such a unity in Him so that I do not disagree with anything He says about me. And you know, it's taken me a couple of years. Over my life, there are still things that he says, did I say that about you? And I have to say, no, you did not. Forgive me. I'm not going to say that about myself anymore. I'm not going to see myself from that way anymore because there, it is a growth. It's a continual going from glory to glory. So every one of us is on this path of maturity, of growth, so that we grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ, Ephesians 4 tells us. So here is Jesus in his fullness and we're all in process of attaining the fullness of what's in him being in us. Hallelujah. And so as we acknowledge, I want to read this from another translation. I want to read this from the Amplified. If you can put that one up, it says, And I pray, so this is good for us to pray for each other, isn't it? Amen. It's good for us to pray for ourselves. I pray that the participation in and sharing of your faith 
may produce and promote full recognition and appreciation and understanding and precise knowledge. So full recognition is that I can see it all laid out before me. I can fully see the victory that's mine in Christ, the inheritance that's mine in Christ. I can fully see the healing that's mine in Christ. I can see the redemption that's mine in Christ. I can fully see all of And there's so much, it's going to take a while. You know, the Bible talks about in Ephesians that for eternity, He's going to be displaying and showing and revealing His favor. We're going to be seeing the goodness of God and saying, Wow! God is so good to us for eternity. You're never going to reach the place that you say, Yeah, I know all that about God. You can't show me anything about God I haven't already seen. It will never happen. You will never get there. I will never get there. We are going to be continually increasing in this recognition. But it says again, recognition, appreciation, and understanding and precise knowledge of every good thing that is ours in our identification with Christ. Hallelujah. The Weiss translation, and we don't have that one for the screen, but I'll read it to you. The Weiss translation says that you will become effective in the sphere of a full and perfect experiential knowledge of every good thing in us with a view to the glory of Christ. A full and and perfect, and that's talking about well-developed. So because these things, this is not Burger King. You can't have it your way today. You can't drive through and get this with one hearing of a sermon. You can't just get it with one reading of the verse. This is going to be something that you're going to continually put your eyes on this light-giving verse. And this verse is going to shine light and shine light and shine light and shine light and shine this light of the gospel into your heart until you can see, until your eyes get adjusted to the light. And you can begin to see, oh, and then you'll see how it went with this other verse that you've been studying on. And this other verse that pastor talked about last week. And then they'll, those, those lights will begin to connect to each other and you'll see how your life is in Christ and Christ is alive in you. So this is necessary for us to experience the full plan of God, not just not just for the thing you need right now or the victory that you need right now, but for you to walk out your life in Christ. You need to be consistently looking at who you are in Him and who He is in you. Everything that is in Christ is ours by redemption. This is the plan of God. This is that mystery that He has made known unto us. Everything that's in Christ is ours by redemption. If it's in Christ, it belongs to us. If you can find it in Christ, you can find it in you. Why? Because He put it, you're in Him and He's in you. Everything that's in Christ is in you. This is the, this is the, the plan of salvation. This is that mystery that, that the enemy couldn't see on the other side of the cross, but we can see it clearly as the Word of God reveals who we are. Everything that is in Christ is now in me. 
is available in me. Let's look, for instance, at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to go through some that are, are familiar redemption scriptures, but they're vital redemption scriptures, so they should never become boring or fam- old to us. Uh, familiar uh, is, is good uh, if, uh, of things that we eat regularly, right? Never get tired of bread. Never get tired of, of you know, those, faith, those things that you eat on a regular basis every day. So, uh, did he say ice cream? <laughs> every day. Every day got to have some bluebell. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He has made him, speaking of Jesus, God has made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now again, this is a scripture that we would go to uh, readily for a redemption truth of how He became it so that we could become what He was. He became sin. God made Him to be sin in our place for us so that we would be made the righteousness of God in Him. This righteousness is not a lower uh, quality of righteousness. It is not a low-grade righteousness. It's not a generic righteousness in a yellow box with always save on the outside of it. It's not a generic righteousness. This is God's righteousness, the righteousness of God. He became sin so that we would be made righteous. Notice righteousness is not something we possess or we have in a quantity that you can measure. He said He's made us the righteousness. Righteousness is who you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And, and, and the, the book, Redeemed and Righteous by Nature, spends chapter after chapter identifying uh, aspects of that righteousness that we are in Christ Jesus. This righteousness is uh, something that we have now been made. We are recreated in righteousness before Christ, before I received Jesus as Lord, I had by nature... It said, by nature, Ephesians tells me, I was a child of the wrath. I was a child of wrath. Why? By nature, I was a sinner. But after I received Jesus, He recreated my nature. He gave me a new nature. I am no longer a sinner by nature. And so it is not correct for me to say, we are all sinners saved by grace. We could all say we were all sinners, but I am no longer a sinner. I do have the capacity to sin because I still have flesh. But by nature, it says in 1 Peter that we have been made partakers of His divine nature. So you can't be a sinner if you've been a partaker, made a partaker of His divine nature. You, we were all sinners because we were born in sin. Every human being born into Adam's lineage, born on this people planet, was born with a sin nature, born into that that mold, if you will. 
But when we received Jesus, we were born again. He said, you must be born again. And they didn't understand. What does he mean, born again? How can I come out of my mother's womb again? I am a grown adult. I can't be reborn. But he was said of the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You must be born of the Spirit is what he was saying. And when you're born of the Spirit, your nature has been reborn. You are reborn as the righteousness of God in Christ because Jesus became sin for us and now we are reborn righteous. We are reborn in a, con- in, in a condition that we can relate with our Heavenly Father without that separation that sin had caused in our life before Christ. This is ours now. We don't have to do things to become more righteous because how can you do anything to become more righteous than He made you in Christ? Now, some people say, well, I've got to read my Bible so I can be accepted by God or I've got to, to pray so that I'm more righteous. Those things are things righteous people do, but they don't make you more righteous. And if a person gets deceived into thinking that I have to do these things for him to love me or I have to do these things for him to answer my prayer or I have to do these things for him to accept me, those things are going to deceive them into doing things for the wrong reason and there's no faith in it. There's fear in it. And it will hinder them from having the fruits of righteousness He intends for us to have. So that's why we've got to let the Word of God instruct us. And the Word of God says that He has become sin so that I could be made righteous. And in Christ, I am now made righteous. And so I've got to acknowledge that. What did we see in Philemon 1.6? We've got to acknowledge it. I've got to recognize it. And then I've got to verbally say, I am righteous in Christ. I am righteous in Christ. Now, yes, I want to pray because that's what righteous people do. Prayer is going to give me that advantage of communication with God. Yes, I want to read my Bible because that's where the light is going to shine into my understanding and I'm going to see what I need to do with the situations I'm going to face in that day. Those are not things that I do to become righteous because I've already... This is the righteousness which is of faith. Do you recognize that phrase? Do you recognize that phrase? I'm quoting a phrase that is used in Romans chapter 10. The righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, it says in Romans chapter 10. So that tells me righteousness comes by hearing and hearing the word. Faith is hearing and hearing the word. So my position of who I am in Christ doesn't come by me praying more or by me me quoting or memorizing, but my position of who I am in Christ comes by me hearing the word and receiving it and acknowledging I am what that word says I am. Jesus became sin for me. I am made righteous in Him. I'm going to walk in that righteousness. And do you know what the action of a person who is confident that they are righteous in Christ is? That they boldly approach the throne of God. That we come boldly. That's what he said that we should be doing if we believe in our righteousness. That we've been justified by his blood. If we have faith, we've been justified. You know what we do as a result? Here I am, Father. I love you with all my heart. I'm so thankful, Lord.
Lord, for all that you've done for me. I'm here at your throne just to rejoice in your presence and to receive of, of your, your instruction for my life. But a person who lacks faith in their justification or their righteousness by the blood, they try to approach God. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. If, you for, if you've done something, go ahead and repent. But that shouldn't be your first interaction with God every time. My little girl doesn't come in and, and crying every time she walks in the room where I am. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. If she's done something, she might come in and tell me she's sorry. But the rest of the time, she comes in with a smile on her face. She comes in excited to see me. She woke up this morning, you know, we're in the hotel room together, and she woke up this morning, reached over, saw me, put her hands right around me and kissed me right on the cheek. Good morning, Mommy. That's what the Father wants us. He wants us to be so convinced of what Jesus has done in us, how Jesus has washed us and cleansed us and made us His children that we can come to the Father and we can just, Good morning, Father. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Everything in Christ is ours. It says in Galatians chapter 3. Let's look at this one. Galatians 3. And I, I, I'm aiming at a specific target. So I'm, I may have to fast track through some of these uh, to get us there. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. So you do not have to permit any flow of the curse to have operation because He redeemed us from it. Yes. He redeemed us from any action of the curse. He redeemed us from any operation of the curse. If it's under the curse, it has no right Amen. because He redeemed us. He, and that word redeemed means He paid the price. Amen. He rescued us with a price that had to be paid. Christ has redeemed us. He has paid the price so that no operation of the curse. Do you know every sickness is under the curse? Amen. Every sickness. There was not one sickness that existed before the curse came into this earth. And so as, as believers, we've got, to, we've got to draw that line in the sand. We've got to draw that line. And if it is sickness, because there are a lot of people who look at that as normal way of life. There was a person who said to Gloria Copeland, how am I going to die if I don't get sick? How am I going to die if I don't get sick? So in that person, and there's a lot of people who think that way. There are a lot of people who think that, that sickness is a normal progression of aging. But that's not Bible. That's not Bible. That's not the Bible pattern for your life as you increase in years. As we increase in years, we never have to grow old. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I'm redeemed from what people refer to as growing old. We are increasing in years. We, yes, increasing in years and maturity. That's an honorable thing. That's not anything to be dreaded or feared or, or, or look at as something that you don't want to happen. Our life as we increase in years 
According to Psalm chapter 90, we are going to flourish. Flourish. And that means we continue with our abundant growth. It's a spiritual growth. It's a financial growth. It's a physical health springing forth speedily. We increase. We don't have to decrease in strength as we increase in age. We don't have to decrease in finances as we increase in age. We don't have to decrease in any area as we increase in age. God's plan is that we continue to thrive. That we continue to bring forth fruit in our lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we've got to recognize that's the world's way of thinking. It's the world's way of thinking that people, as they increase in age, they become weaker and sicker until finally they give up and go home. That is not the plan that God has for us. You know, Moses... He, his eyes didn't even grow dim. Hallelujah. He, he walked that mountain and went to be with the Lord. The, there isn't any desire of God for us to, to lessen or decrease in our health, our finances, our, our mental abilities, any of those things. There is provision in Christ for us to continually flourish even as we enter into our 80s and 90s and 100s, we can be flourishing. Amen. We can be strong in the Lord. Amen. Just go ahead and set that mark. Just go ahead and decide right now today, I'm going to increase. As I increase in age, I'm increasing in wisdom. I'm increasing in strength. I'm increasing in health. See, because what happens is people start making jokes and they say things like, Whoo, I'm over the hill. I'm over the hill. I passed 40. I'm over the hill. Since when is 40 a mark of a halfway point for the believer? There's, look, can I see the bottom of your foot? You've got a sandal on. Pull your sandal off and let me see your feet. Let me see your other foot. There's no expiration date. <laughs> Have you checked your feet? Do you have an expiration date stamped on your feet of when you, are, when you need to be taken out of the cooler? Right? No expiration date. According to the word, it's a long, satisfying life. We've got to bring our faith up to that. We're redeemed from the curse. We need to, we need to identify what's under the curse... And once I identify what's under the curse, I say it can't come in my life. I say it can't come in my body. I say it can't come into my family. It can't come into my home. can't come into my finances. If it's under the curse, I don't have to allow it. But through a lack of knowledge, believers sometimes do. Not you, those other believers who don't know. But I'm telling you, we know. We know that if, it, if it's under the curse, I don't have to permit it. It can't just come in against my will. It just can't come in against my will because I am in Christ and Christ is in me. It can't just come in and it will try. It's a trespasser. The curse will try to trespass on our lives. The curse will try to trespass on your finances. The curse will try to trespass against your body. It will try to trespass because that's what the curse does. 
But if you don't let it, it can't successfully do it. If you will raise up a standard against it and say, No, I acknowledge... I am effectual in my faith because I acknowledge that's under the curse. It can't happen in my physical body. It can't happen in my marriage. It can't happen in my, in my finances. That curse, I back it off with the blood of Jesus, with the redemption that's mine. I'm redeemed from the curse. He paid the price to redeem me from it. I don't have to let that curse have any activity in my life. I... Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. So he, made, he was made to be a curse. Do you remember that the book of Isaiah says, we, we hid our faces from him. They hid their faces because at that moment, when the curse came upon Jesus, it was horrible to look at. It was such a sight of horror that they were disgusted and appalled and gagging and they couldn't look on him because... And they began to say, maybe God has cursed him. Maybe, maybe he blasphemed God and God is cursing him. No, I did. And that's why God cursed him. I, I am the reason he became cursed on the cross. You are the reason he became cursed on the cross. And the reason he did it was so you could be blessed. And I could be blessed. And we could walk in the fullness of the blessing that Romans chapter 15 identifies. This fullness of the blessing that covers every aspect of our life. That we're blessed in our marriages, blessed in our finances, blessed in our health, blessed in our long life, blessed in going in, coming out, blessed when we encounter whatever difficulty, we can come through it blessed. Jesus became cursed for that. So that we could be blessed. Hallelujah. So that the blessing, verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on us, the Gentiles, through Jesus Christ. The blessing coming on us through Jesus Christ because Jesus is the vine and we're the branches and the blessing is now flowing through him and it is unhindered in us if we will acknowledge what is in us in Christ. What is, if we will acknowledge. See, there's an acknowledging we have to do. There is a, a verbal and a heartfelt acknowledging. No, I'm in Christ. I'm redeemed from that. Lack cannot encroach upon my finances. Devourer can't come into my life. I'm in Christ. I resist that in Jesus' name. In 1 Peter 2.24, we're familiar with that scripture. But let's look at it as well. 1 Peter 2.24 These are everything in Christ is ours. Everything in Christ is ours. 1 Peter 2.24 Who his own self carried, bore our sins. That word in the original Hebrew where it's referring to in Isaiah 53 is uh, 54 is a verse that says uh, uh, 53, 4, and 5. It's a, a word that means to carry and remove away. To carry away as if to remove. And to, to remove it from your vicinity. To remove it completely. So it's not just like 
He's carrying it on His back. He took it and removed it from your vicinity. It's no longer in your region. No longer in the area where it can try to come back on you. His own self carried and completely removed our sins in His own body on the tree that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness. So because of what He did, we are dead to sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sin has no lordship over us. Why? Because we're born again. The devil can't make you sin. Flip Wilson had it wrong. His doctrine is not from the Bible. (laughs) Flip Wilson was a comedian and his tagline was, the devil made me do it. Not if you're in Christ, he didn't. If you're in Christ, the devil can't make you do anything. Sin cannot lord over you, cannot dominate you if you don't let it. So he, he bore, carried our sin so that we could be dead to sin. In other words, sin no longer has the ability, it, the remote control of sin is no longer programmed to me. You know, you can have a remote control that you had from another TV and you can point it, you can bring it in here and point it at these screens and try to get it to work, but it's not programmed. You have to get the remote that's programmed to these screens, these television monitors, to get them to work. That has to be programmed. Well, the devil's remote no longer works on you. He can point it at you and press all the buttons he wants to press and you're you're not going to respond. Jesus has your remote. Jesus is in control of your remote. And he's pressing pressing peace and joy. He's pressing long life. He's he's got different buttons on on the remote that's over our life. Sin no longer lords over us, Romans 6 says. Sin has no dominion over us. Why? Because Jesus in taking our sins, made us dead to sin. This pattern is supposed to be used for the next phrase as well. When it it follows this declaration up with by whose stripes you were healed, you're supposed to take by whose stripes you were healed and pull it through the the same framework of the previous part of the verse. Jesus who bore the stripes on his back, let's pull it through here, who his own self bore the stripes in his own body, that we being dead to sickness should live unto healing. (laughs) That's, That's the sentence structure of that verse. When it says, by whose stripes you were healed, he said... It works the same way for healing. You can take healing through the same process. He bore the stripes on his back so that we being dead to sickness. In God's mind, healing and salvation from sin are in the same work. He didn't say, he, he didn't see them. He didn't, he didn't identify that, yes, he saved us from sin. And oh yeah, by the way, sometime different. I made a way for your healing. 
He, it's together. It's one work. It, the work of redemption is a complete package. In our redemption, our salvation from sin, our freedom from the sin nature is, is supplied along with our freedom from sickness. You know, freedom from the sin nature is, is more long-lasting than just freedom from sickness. Because remember, sickness is only in operation because of the curse. We are going to live forever righteous with God as, long as we walk this out and, and we remain in communion with Him. You could choose. God's not going to stop your righteousness, but you could choose to walk away from it. So we're not talking about uh, uh, you know, that you're, you're, you're once saved, always saved. People have chosen after they've tasted of their salvation. They have chosen to walk back after the flesh and live uh, a life that, that goes against and they have, have chosen not to follow God's plan for their life and not to remain submitted to Jesus as Lord. And that's their choice. He's not going to make anybody stay serving Him. He's not going to drag anybody into heaven who's changed their mind and said, I don't want to serve Jesus. Amen. But our redemption from sin is this eternal life. It is, it is forever in availability to us. Not just in this age, not just in this world system, but for eternity we are going to be recipients and, and have that flow of that eternal life. I'm only going to need healing from sickness while I'm in a place where the curse is operation. After we experience the, the return of the Lord and the establishing of the, the millennial reign and all of the different uh, plans that God has, we're not going to say, well, I better hope I keep my healing package. I don't want to lose my healing package. You know why? There's not going to be a curse causing sickness as we enter into the fullness of God's plan. The curse is operational here and that's why we must be skilled in acknowledging what's in us in Him, in us in Christ, so that we can say, I don't have to permit any sickness to have operation in my body any more than I have to permit any sin to make me do anything. Did we see? Uh, we, we've been looking on Wednesday night and even in the ladies uh, last night we looked at Mark chapter 5 about the peace of God. Jesus told her in verse 34, go into peace and be continually healed and continually freed. Which means you never have to be sick another day in your life. Continually healed and continually freed. Continually healed. Why? That's God's plan in redemption. That's God's plan in redemption. So he says that Jesus bore our sicknesses in his body that we could be dead to sickness and live unto health. Live unto health. And that, that takes it from just believing God for healing if I need it to just believing God to just remain healthy. I don't just have to say, I can get healing if I need it. How about I just be healed? Amen. Just be continually healed. Amen. That's ours in Christ. Everything in Christ is ours by redemption. 
2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now we're just going through these scriptures that are identifying He took it so that we could have something of His. He took what was ours so that we could have what was His. He took our sin so that we could have His righteousness. He took our curse so that we could have His blessing. Hallelujah. He took our sickness. He was made sick with our sicknesses so that we could be made whole and complete and live a healed life with His healing. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says He took our poverty. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9, For you know the grace, the favor of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, that you through His poverty might be rich. You do not have to suffer poverty any more than you have to suffer sickness any more than you have to suffer sin. You don't have to yield to sin, you don't have to yield to sickness, and you don't have to yield to poverty. You have been bought out of sickness, you have been bought out of sin, and you've been bought out of poverty. He became poor with the, because poverty is under the curse. Poverty was not lack and poverty and need, needs going unmet was not a part of God's plan before the fall. In God's plan before the fall, all sufficiency in all things, like Pastor Ron was identifying, that was in the plan of God already. All sufficiency, abundance, abundance of good things. Abundance of good things. So lack and poverty and need entered in when sickness entered in, when sin entered in. Hallelujah. We're redeemed from it. We have, he has paid the price by becoming poverty. It says he, he for our sakes became poor so that through his poverty, through his poverty, through his poverty, through his poverty. Have you ever been at an expensive amusement park? I remember the time that we took uh, one of our children. We had to go down to Orlando to, to deal with some things after my father had moved to heaven. And so while we were there, we took Angela to uh, the amusement park there. To, we went to the... Um, somebody help me. Is it Disney Kingdom, Disney World or Disney World there in Orlando? I know there's a d- different name for the one, Disneyland, Disney World. So... We took her there, and we paid the price for the three of us to go to Disney World. And it was so hot. It was so hot. We looked for the air-conditioned place. We walked from one air-conditioned place to the next. It was so hot. And she was so ungrateful (laughs) because she did not do well in the heat. I mean, she just wouldn't enjoy life if she wasn't if she wasn't comfortable I mean if she if if she didn't eat and if she was hot she just became a grump and she was so ungrateful she didn't enjoy it and all I could say is we have wasted our money we have wasted you're gonna get on that ride and you're gonna stand in that line and you're gonna enjoy this trip bless God we paid too much money for you not to enjoy this now you get yourself 
wouldn't enjoy what we paid for because she didn't care what we paid. All she could say is, I'm hot, I'm hot, I'm hot. <laughs> oh, no, you don't. <laughs> I am not in any way. You better get some attitude of gratitude flowing in your life. But I wanted her to, get, to go ride everything. I wanted her to enjoy it. I, brought, I, brought, I didn't come here for me. I do not do well on roller coasters. I mean, my last roller coaster was the Mamba. <laughs> and I got to the very top and I said, Lord, if you get me down from here, I will never do this again. I will never tempt the Lord my God again. <laughs> it was awful. I did not pay that price for me to ride those rides. I didn't, we didn't go there for Pastor to ride those rides. We went there for her, and she wouldn't enjoy it. And I'm like, you better ride everything you can ride. You better get, get up there and enjoy it. And everything Jesus paid the price to make ours, I don't want to leave anything on the table. I, wanna, I want to receive and experience the liberty and the righteousness and the freedom. And I want to live my life in the fullness that gives Him glory because He made all of this possible so that I could enjoy the ride. So that I could live the life He created, a righteous, redeemed life. He didn't go to the cross and become sin for me and let the curse come on him and separate him from the Father. He didn't suffer the stripes on his back for me to just barely make it to heaven, suffering all the way along. He made this so that I could walk in his victory and experience his life on the earth. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Romans chapter 8. Everything in Christ is ours. Everything in Christ is ours. Romans chapter 8. Look with me at verse 17. Let's start at 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We are the children of God. It requires the Word to see yourself as a son of God. Without the Word, your mind can't accept it. Your mind is not programmed to be able to uh, see it outside of the Word. It requires the Word being applied to the mind for the mind to be able to acknowledge the fact that I am a child of God. This is vital that you see yourself as a son of God. Male sons and female sons. Male sons and female sons. A child of God. A, direct, a descendant of God. You are a child of God. You are in God's lineage. You are born of God. When you got born again, remember, you're not human anymore first. You're spiritual first. You're born of God first and you happen to be in this human body. But you're not a human first. You're born again. That's, I mean, in pre, pre, preeminence. What's most important is the fact that you're born again. Amen. 
And because you're born again, you're born of God. You're his child now. The spirit bears witness that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Not just a child that's been brought in and, and has access to eternal life, but that's it. That's all you get. You don't get any of the family inheritance. We're going to let you get saved and come in, but you can't have any of the family inheritance. No, no, no. That's not what he says. If you are a child of God, so the, so the Holy Spirit has to reveal this to us. He has to bear witness that we are the children of God, and we are heirs. We are heirs. God has written us into His will. What God owns, I have an heirship to it. I have an inheritance to it. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Joint heir identifies equal share. Equal share. This is, this is the goodness of God. This is the favor of our Heavenly Father. This is true in Christ. That everything in Christ is in me. Everything Jesus has, I have an equal share of it because I'm in Him, He's in me. We are one. And because we're one with Jesus, we're one with the Father. Hallelujah. Everything in Christ is in me. I'm a joint heir with Christ. I'm a joint heir with Christ. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Isaiah 54. Hallelujah. Bless, bless, blessed. Bless, bless, blessed. Isaiah 54, let's look at verses 13 through 17. 54, 13, all your children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace, nothing missing, nothing broken of your children. In righteousness you will be established. That's rooted, that's founded. In righteousness you'll be established. You will be far from oppression. Why? Because you shall not fear. You'll be far from terror because it will not come near you. Why? If you're not opening the door with fear, oppression and terror cannot enter without an open door. And we're established in righteousness. And being established in righteousness is established in who I am in Christ. And in Christ, I don't have anything I could fear. What can you fear? If you really know who you are in Christ, what could you fear? What can we fear when we really know who we are in Christ and who He is in us? Is there any sickness that could touch my body that the Christ in me would not be able to handle it? would not be able to, to deal with. Is there any financial adversity that could touch my life that the Christ in me and the riches of His glory 
and the inheritance that I have in the saints of light, the inheritance as an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. Is there any financial situation that could touch my life? That I would have to fear it? That it would have power over the Christ in me? Do you see how necessary it is for us to acknowledge who He is in me and I am in Him? Acknowledging, recognizing, and then bringing to the forefront, I'm in Christ. In Him I live. In Him I move. In Him I have my being. I don't have to fear what CNN says. I don't have to fear what MSNBC says. I don't have to let what the world is fearing cause my heart to have tremors. Why? Because I am established in righteousness. I am an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus has been delegated to me. I can use the name. Hallelujah. I've been made more than a conqueror through Him. So it says here that none of these things will come near us because we're established in righteousness and we will not fear. Behold, they shall surely gather together. He didn't say that adversity wouldn't come. He just said it wouldn't overcome. You know, in, in Psalm 34, it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. And some people just stop and camp on it right there. Woo! Many are the afflictions of the righteous. And they preach the afflictions. And they preach the many. And they preach the, the many afflictions. And they focus on the many afflictions. But that's not how the verse ends. But the Lord shall deliver out of them all. So it doesn't matter if a thousand comes as long as I know He's covered them all. It doesn't matter how many afflictions come. He delivers me out of them all. So a thousand, ten thousand, it doesn't matter. He, ten thousand at my right hand, but it shall not come near me. If I know He's delivered me out of them all, then it doesn't matter what comes. So the emphasis here is, yes, they shall surely gather together. Adversity will come, but God's not the author of the adversity. He's not the one bringing the trouble. He says, whosoever will gather together against you shall fall for your sake. And we know people are not our adversary, but we know that the devil is our adversary and the curse is our adversary. Whatever will gather together against us, it will fall. It will fall. It will fall. It will not be successful in gaining an advantage over us. Behold, I have created the smith that blows the coals in the fire that brings forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the waster. It, the better translation is that destroys. In other words, I, the devil is not equal to God. Amen. He's not equal. He, he's created. God created him. He would not be here had it not been the fact that God created him. Now, God didn't create him to be what he's being today. He is what he is today because he fell. He rebelled against God. He rebelled against God and in doing so lost what God created him with and has become an, 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 a, a twisted version of what God created him to be. And so it says, I've created him. I know what he's got. 
I know what he's made of. And I've made you more. What, what you have in me is better than what he is. I know what he is. I know what he's capable of. I know what he can do. I created him. He is a created being and a fallen one. He is fallen and we're glorified. Amen. He's fallen and that means he doesn't have access to revelation knowledge. He can't see spiritual things the way we see spiritual things. If he had known the princes of this world would never have crucified the Lord of glory. Why? Because they couldn't see things that we can clearly see in Christ. So the enemy, he's defeated and he is limited. And God's letting us know, you're glorified and you're in me and you're my child and you've got all of my resources and he has nothing. He's been stripped. Jesus has already stripped him of any abilities that he has. So he's saying, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Do I have a trick Bible? Is that in your Bible too, brother? Does your Bible say no weapon? That's what yours says? No weapon? Is that in your Bible? It says no weapon? It does. So, so this isn't just one or two of us that have this. It says no weapon, no weapon. So can the enemy form a weapon that's successful against the Christ in you? No weapon that is formed against you will be able to prosper. They might be formed, but who cares? If the weapon comes against you, that's not a concern because you know it won't work. It won't work. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. It won't work. No weapon. It won't work. So if you see the weapon, if you see the adversity, when it pops up, when it comes against you, it won't work. It won't work. It won't work. I'm not going to fret about that. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to, to entertain anxiety about that. It won't work. Why? Because the greater one in me. Christ in me. I acknowledge Christ is in me. I acknowledge the victory in me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He says, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, you will condemn it, prove it to be wrong. This is the heritage, the inheritance, the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Well, this is Old Testament heritage for servants, and we're sons. We're sons. We're sons. Male sons, female sons, we're sons. We're not just servants, we're sons who serve. But we're we're in the family. How much more is our victory established if no weapon formed under the Old Testament 
would be able to prosper against the people serving God. How much more as the child of God, blood-bought child, born of God, a righteous woman by nature, a righteous man by nature, a righteous person who is alive with the life of God, connected to the vine Jesus Christ Himself, how much more will no weapon formed against me be able to prosper? How much more is my victory established? We walked through and we've looked at these things and I'm going to wrap it up with this. We looked at the fact that He became cursed so that I could be blessed. He became sin so that I could be righteous. He became sick with my sicknesses so that I could be whole and healed. He became poor with my poverty so that I would be made rich in Him. But there's one I want to add to our redemption that often we, we look at and we leave for Him only. And that's the victory. Amen. Jesus didn't need victory. He was already the second person of the Godhead. Jesus came because we needed victory. He came to give us victory. So the victory is not just His, it's yours. <laughs> the victory that He gained when He triumphed over Satan in the cross, that victory is your victory. He's not holding that victory to His own and saying, I've got victory and I'll help you. No, He's saying, you've got victory. Let's read, let's read here together in Colossians chapter 2. Yes, That was my second close. I have one more coming. I have one more in, in hold if I need it. <laughs> Got to have one in reserve. You never want to come to the end and say, I've used all my closings. Did I say Colossians? Hallelujah. I want to read from verse 15. Colossians 2, 15. I was looking somewhere else at a different, just to decide what, if I wanted to use something else there or not. Having spoiled principalities and powers... Spoiled. Spoiled is a word that identifies completely annihilating, taking them and making them inoperative, rendering them incapable of having any more effectiveness. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. It referring to the cross, triumphing over them in the cross. Hallelujah. The Wies translation says, having stripped off and away from himself the principalities and authorities, he boldly made an example of them, leading them in a triumphal procession in the cross. The hostile princes, the Weymouth translation says, the hostile princes and rulers he shook off from himself and boldly displayed them as his conquests. 
when he by the cross triumphed over them. So all of the demonic authorities and rulers and principalities that were coming against him, he shook them off. He shook them off, triumphed over them, defeating them, and led them in this procession, which is much like history records when a conquering king would go in and defeat a city, they would take all of the leaders and the previous ruler and they would drag them through, shaming them in the street, putting their feet over them saying, I conquered the one who used to rule you. That was the victory procession. The victory was a bold victory. The victory was a complete victory. The victory was a dominating victory. This is mine. That's mine. He did that for me. Just like he took the stripes for me. Just like he became cursed for me. He did that so that I could gain that victory. When Jesus hung on the cross, according to Galatians 2.20... We are crucified together with Him. Do you see yourself on the cross with Jesus? Do you see yourself on the cross? You've been there, haven't you? And then it says in Romans chapter 6, we were buried with Him in baptism. So when we went into that baptism, we went under in His his tomb. And we came up resurrected in the newness of life, just like He resurrected from that tomb and came out of that tomb alive unto God. He he was resurrected, we were resurrected. He was triumphant over the enemy. And when he took his foot and placed over the neck of the devil and said, and I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. That's me standing there with my foot on the neck of the adversary. That's me holding up the keys. That's my victory. He didn't just do it for him. He did it for you. That's your victory. You are more than a conqueror. The Bible says you're more than a conqueror. So it's appropriate for you to say, I'm more than a conqueror. The Bible says, thanks be unto God who always causes you to triumph. Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus. So in Christ, I win. In Christ, you win. Whatever the game you're playing, just in Christ I win. Whatever the adversity you're facing, I'm winning this. I've I've won this. My victory's already settled. I never have to enter into the ring as a contender. I never have to enter into any challenge, any adversity as a person trying to get victory. You don't have to enter into any difficulty as a person trying to get victory. If you'll walk in Christ and who He is in you, you've already got it. You've already got it. Victory's already yours. You're not trying to get it, you've got it. Not trying to get it, you've got it. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. I told Satan, get thee behind. 
Victory today is mine. Stand with me to your feet today. Victory. Victory in Christ. It's ours now. His victory is my victory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for victory. Now, your job is to acknowledge it. Every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. Everything that's in you in Him. In you, in you, in Him. Victory's in you now. Victory's in you now. Hallelujah. Father, we receive it. Just lift your hands and say, I receive it, Lord. What you've made mine in Christ, I accept and I put myself in line with your truth. Thank you, Lord. I'm more than a conqueror. I am an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. In Jesus' name.